Well, welcome back. Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, glad you're here. Uh, it's been a good Sunday. Uh, it's a good day. Uh, God is good. Um, just for you, those of you who are new with us, um, we are a people who know or who are an imperfect people who love a perfect God who has perfectly loved us. Uh, we gather here every week uh, not because we are better than anyone else or that we deserve something more than anyone else, but that we have found hope uh, that we don't deserve and a Savior who is perfect and has paid for all of our brokenness. Um, and so we come together uh, to know him, to follow him, and to serve him. Uh, we are a people who hope to see him work in us uh, so that we can become a place where faith um, and fellowship create a family, um, that God could do a work in us that showcases who he is through the way we interact with each other. And so we gather, we sing, we pray. Uh, thank you, Dom, for leading us in prayer. Um, we, uh, and we, we look at his word uh, to look at not how, how can this change someone around me who's making me upset, but how can the Lord use this to change my heart? Uh, because just a good adage for life, an old pastor once told me, um, ships don't sink because of the water around them. Um, ships sink because of the water in them. Um, and the Lord desires to work in our soul, uh, in us, uh, to use his word to shift our focus to him to shape us, uh, to make us stand and to walk with us and then work through us in these days in which we find ourselves uh, in situations that we are placed in. So with that being said, uh, we've been going through uh, a book of the Bible here lately, and I usually look over to this screen. So this is going to really throw me off because I got to go over here. Um, and we've been looking at this. We've been reading this book. Um, and, you know, you come in here. Uh, we walk here. We got wonderful things coming in. Hel hopefully you're greeted by a happy, uh, smiling face and a good cup of warm coffee. Uh, because coffee is proof that God loves us and <laughs> wants us to be happy. Um, it, it's true. I, I mean, I, how could it not be if this could be the acronym for coffee, Right. Christ offers forgiveness for everyone everywhere. It's proof God loves us and wants us to be happy. I'm just, sorry, that's sorry. Um, we'll go back to, you can't take yourself too seriously. Um, but we've been going through this book of Jude. And we've been going through it, uh, reading it, because we like to look at a, at a book of the Bible. And we like to walk through that book of the Bible. And we like to see how God speaks to us in that. And we've seen in this book, it is a book written to Christians who are, face, who are sitting amongst uh, a threat of false teaching. Um, and that false teaching was seeking to lead people into destructive behaviors for their life. Uh, the main uh, word for that false teaching was antinomianism, uh, which is a long word that if you would like a definition of, you can go on our website, you can go back a few weeks um, and find a sermon on that. Uh, but simply means anti-law or against the law. And it was a people who were coming in and teaching Christians to follow after and do whatever they feel like doing because God's forgiven everything so I can continue to sin. Um, but Jude was saying, no, that's, that's not 
what the Christian life is about. The Christian life, yes, Jesus does cover all our sins. But more than that, he brings us out of the bondage of sin and he brings us into the bondage of, of righteousness. And he calls us to live in a way that is honoring to God, but also beneficial to us and others. And if we are actively pursuing the things that God hates, um, that, is, that is going against him, it brings destruction in, my, in our lives. Uh, but if we recognize where we are and we accept the forgiveness of God and we walk with him, not perfectly, but we progress towards him, uh, God blesses that. Uh, God brings us the peace that surpasses all understanding. And so last week we were, we were kind of narrowing down towards the end of our sermon here and we noticed that these false teachers who were um, we we're coming and, and teaching were false because they did not have the Holy Spirit. And if you do not have the Holy Spirit, then you cannot adequately understand the Word of God. And all of those who have come to know Jesus receive the Holy Spirit. He is God dwelling in us. He is God dwelling and moving and shaping and working in us in various different ways. And if we don't have the Spirit, we don't have God. And God's Spirit speaks for God. God's Spirit uplifts the Son. God's Spirit speaks and calls people to righteousness. He convicts, he leads, he comforts, he moves. He directs and he speaks and prays for us. And so with that being said, we're going to continue in our series here in the book of Jude. So if you have your Bible open, I want you to look at uh, Jude. And we're going to start in verse 17 again. And we're going to mainly focus on verses 20 and 21. And I really, really like what the Lord has for us here today. Because um, it's just a wonderful reminder uh, action steps. So if you have it with me, let's read. You must remember, beloved, predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is those who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, Building yourselves up in your, in, the, in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. See, Jude is writing to these people, and if you'll notice, twice here, he uses this word beloved or beloved. I don't know why... You call beloved, beloved, and you stress the E. Um, and other things, when it's past tense, you say ed. Um, but this is a word that appears in this book four times. Turn your, turn your page over. It's not a long book. Turn your page over, um, or you may be on the same page because, again, it's not a long book. But Jude starts this letter with this description. To those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. 
He knows what he has to write to. He knows who he has to appeal to. He knows what he is writing against. He knows what the church is going through. And he wants the church to know at their foundation from the beginning of this argument that the people that he's writing to are people who are loved by God. They are absolutely loved by God. That is their identity. That is who they are. Not what they do, it's who they are. I don't know if any of you have had children before. Some of you maybe. Um, I have four of them. And again, thank you, uh, George and whoever got involved in this. I had no idea this presentation was happening. This is awesome. Uh, Legacy for my daughter. I had no idea. (laughs) Thank you. I don't even know where you're sitting, George. Um, Right over here. Um, uh, But that was my, my, my fourth child. And I don't know if any of you parents have had this experience, but I feel like the older I get, the more, and the more children I have, the more love I have for my children. It's a, it's a weird thing. So much that my, my wife and I were sitting here just looking at my daughter, who's just a, just a, I mean, she's a gift. I, I've had four kids, so you kind of get the gambit of what you get. You get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. You tell your kids to do that, but that's just the reality of the children that you get. And everyone comes with their own personality, and every child has their own thing. But this one, praise the Lord, sleeps well and smiles all the time. <laughs> and, <clears throat> and you just look at her and there's this, this joy that overcomes you, or at least me. Almost a tear sometimes, like how wonderful is this child? Just beholding this one that I love. And that's how the Father views us. He loves us. My daughter doesn't even have to do anything. She sits there. like just lays there. Chubby baby. Smiles every once in a while. But I love her. And that's what Jude is describing as God's people. Loved. Beloved. Cherished. Chosen. Cared for. And at the end of this letter where he's dealing with all sorts of stuff, all sorts of things that some of these believers have been led into, mistakes that were made, decisions that have consequences, shame picked back up. You guys know that we don't have to carry shame as believers? A lot of us do. We we don't have to carry that. Why? Because Jesus took it all. He paid for it all. And we pick it up, and you're sitting there, and he's writing to these people, and he wants them to know, you are loved. So don't be like these people who are devoid of the Spirit. You, building up yourself in the most, your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself and the love of God. Waiting for the mercy of Jesus Christ. See, there's one imperative in that section of the Bible, and Chip, you can look this up because I know you have your Greek Bible open. That imperative is keep. What is an imperative? A command. Do this. You must do this. The one command is keep. So the 
main clause of this section is keep yourself in the love of God. Believers, God's people are called to remain in his love. There are three participles following that, which are subordinate to that keep, which carry the kind of same connotation, building, praying, waiting. But the main thing that Jude wants his people to know, these people here, what God wants his people to know is that we are called to keep ourselves in the love of God. We are called to remain in God's love. It's imperative. Now, we could read this and we could read, well, how do you mean keep yourself in the love of God? My love for God? I'm supposed to keep loving God? Well, no, it's a subjective genitive. It's talking about God's love for us. Keep yourself in God's love for you. This is why Jude, in this, through this whole book, beloved, beloved, you're loved, you're called, you're wanted, you're cherished, you're chosen, you're loved, you're loved, you're loved, you're loved, you're loved. Keep yourself in the love of God. It's his main argument here. I've said over and over this is about the defense of the faith. I may have been a little off. Because it is about the defense of the faith, but it's more about God's love for us. It's more about how God loves and cares for us. And when we understand his love for us, we don't want to walk away into other things that are destructive to us. We don't want to serve after other masters other than our Jesus. We don't want to go after other things because our God loves us. See, there's a parallel here, the same kind of concept Jesus even speaks in John 14, I believe, not over there, over here. Um, John 15, as the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I've loved you. Now, if you want to stay in my love, which is good for you, remain in my love, keep there, right? This isn't that same passage of uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can, bear, you can do nothing, right? The whole point of the Christian life is to be desperately dependent on Jesus for everything. Be constantly connected to him. To walk with him always. To go back to him, right? There's out here on this wall, you'll see a quote from a psalm. Seek the Lord, seek his presence and his strength continually. It's our call. And we do that by following in what he says. And Jude's not somewhere saying something, anything different. Now what he's not saying and what Jesus is not saying is that if you don't do what I say, you'll somehow fall out of my love for you and you'll no longer be mine or saved. He just does not say that. Plenty of other scriptures and plenty of other messages we've gone on that illustrates the fact that once Christ has you, you cannot be taken away from him. Amen. But my experience of the relationship between me and the Father, me and the Son, me and the Spirit is affected by how I interact, what I think, what I believe, and what I do. 
and I can experience nearness to him, and I can experience distance from him. But if you think about, like, the, there's another prodigal son parable, right? This guy wanted his inheritance, wanted, wanted it right now. He took it, he went, he gambled, got a bunch of friends who were really good friends because he was giving out a lot of money. And then when he stopped giving out a lot of money, he lost all his friends. And then he goes back and he's sitting there drinking slop out of a pig's trough. Was he any less loved at that time? Was he, did he ever not become the son of the father when he was gone? No. How do we know that? Because at the end of the parable, he comes back and he's walking. Maybe I can at least work for my dad because I know his workers work better than I do. And the father is sitting there day in, day out, looking out, looking to see, is my son coming back? Is my son coming back? And he runs to him, open arms. Now, did that guy experience a good quality of life? Did things go well with him? Was he experiencing like he was in a relationship with the father? No, he was not. But it didn't change the fact of whose son he was, and the same thing for us. Jesus purchases us, and he puts his spirit in us as a down payment of that purchase. But there is a way in which we can stay and remain in his love. And what's so cool about this message is Jude gives us that way by these three participles. God's people are called to remain in his love, and so we do that. We remain in God's love, God's love by building ourselves up in the faith. Make sense? Good. All right. Um, no, we're not done. Um, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in their most holy faith. See, this is kind of the foundation. Verse 3, I was eager to write to you about the common salvation, but I've called you to contend for the faith that was once delivered for all. The faith, what is the faith? There is a triune God who loves and cares for us, who knows us. His son, born of a virgin, lived a life we could not live, died a death that we deserve, and rose again from the dead to give us a life that we don't deserve. And by putting your faith in him, he forgives you of your sins, he cleanses you of all unrighteousness, and he gives you new life, and he calls you to walk with him. And he calls you to know who he is and to follow after what he's, he said we should do, to look at his word, to take him at his word, to follow his word, and our faith has to be exercised. Our faith has to be worked out in us and around us. It's interesting to me that most times you read in the Bible, if not all, you see this kind of concept in community. These using the second person plural pronoun, right? All y'all, as the intelligent people from the South, which I am one of, um, use. All y'all build up your faith, most holy faith. There's a communal aspect to this because we need one, one another. Reminding, we need each other to 
step in and help each other when we're weak in this area. When we've decided to put more of our faith in the anxieties that may or may not happen to us if such and such happens. Rather than focusing on what is true, what is pure, what is commendable, and trusting the Lord in the present. When we pick up our anxieties and think that they're going to help us control our life, and instead of casting that onto the Lord. When we forget that there is a good God who loves us and knows where we are and has provision for everything that we need, we have believers come by Say, hey, brother, man, I was struggling this last week. This is what the Lord spoke to me, and I see you're struggling this right now. Uh, I just want to encourage you. I know, it's, I know it's rough right now, and I wish I had words to just take all the pain away. But God's good. He's got this. He's going to work it out. Right? The same concept when, when Paul and all, all of Ephesians, every single time he's speaking to the body and he's speaking, calling them to live out their faith and he's calling them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every single time that is in a plural, second person plural pronoun. Our filling of the Spirit is something we do together. Build yourself in the Holy Faith. Remind yourself who that is. Be in a community. Walk with people. Be open, transparent, honest with what's going on because I am loved. God cares for me. My identity is in him. He knows I'm not perfect. But if I bring what's in the dark into light, it becomes light. He works. So, God, we remain in God's love by building ourselves up in the faith. Secondarily, we Remain in God's love by praying in line with the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? Does this mean I need to be able to speak a language that I've never heard of when I start praying? Does this mean I need to say weird things? No, not at all. It's something that every believer is called to, Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. It's something we see uh, the Holy Spirit does something in us and does, he speaks on behalf of us. He, he, uh, he advocates for us. He actually calls us to call out to God as Abba, Father, twice, Romans 8, Galatians 4. But when we pray in the Spirit, it's not something mystical. Well, in a way, it is mystical. It's praying in line with what God wants to happen in the world. It's praying in line with what God desires to see happening in this world. He wants his people to bring their requests and their desires to him. He wants his people to lift up his other people. 
He wants his people to call out that God would work in other people so that they would be able to see who Jesus is and know him and follow him and find life in him. They want God's people to pray that their lives would be shaped and molded to more into the image of God. They want, he wants his people to pray for the things that he desires, to wait on him, see him work. And when we pray, and we pray along those lines, we are praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, does this mean that God is speaking audibly or inaudibly into our head and telling us what to say? No, not necessarily. Sometimes he leads us. There's been plenty of times. This last week, had a thought about someone, came to mind, started praying for them, reached out to them. Hey, this was going on in my life. Oh man, didn't I, I mean I hadn't talked to this person in years. But it's not always that way. It's simply praying along the lines with what God desires to see in the world. Praying with him. Bringing him in. Cuz he's there. Now, thirdly, we remain in God's love by waiting for the mercy of our Lord. Um, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. What does that mean? What is mercy? You guys know what mercy is? Not getting what I deserve. Not getting what I deserve. Grace and mercy have been found in Jesus. Full abundance, right? Grace is getting what I don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what I do deserve. I'm waiting for him. I know what I deserve. Wrath. That's what I deserve. I deserve every brokenness in life. But I'm waiting for Jesus and his mercy. Because he's extended it in the past, he's giving it in the present, and he's coming in the future to bring me to a place that I do not deserve to be. And I'm called to live with a future hope in a God who is actually going to return. We are close to the return of God. We are closer than we were yesterday. We've been living in the last hour for 2,000 years. But that does not mean that he's slow. That doesn't mean he's not coming. He is coming. This is a temporary life in a temporary place. And we have the opportunity to invest in our temporary life into an eternal inheritance. And when we live with our focus on the temporary things and not on the future promise, it's really easy to get off track. But we keep ourselves in God's love for us by reminding and waiting and living as if with the reality that Jesus is actually coming back, that he's actually going to give mercy, that he's actually going to rescue in one way or the next. Even if he doesn't return in my lifetime, as soon as I die, I will be with him and I will come back with him on the clouds. 
I will be raised to new life with him. He's returning. Wait, waiting actually is designed to bring us the strength of God. And this is not a new concept in the Bible. It's not like Jude is the first person to write about this. I mean, I was just reading this morning, Psalm 37, fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers, for they soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way or the man who carries out evil devices. What is David saying? Wait on the coming mercy of God. Wait on the mercy of your Lord, Jesus Christ. Don't fret. It only tends to evil. Wait expectantly. We can go back to the common passage, right? Isaiah uh, 40. They wait on the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is true. Truth. Is it easy? No. Waiting sucks. It's not fun. But in the waiting, when I understand what I'm waiting for, it brings God's strength in the present. It helps remind me of his love for me. It helps me to continue to live and walk in his love for me. It brings that peace of him in the moment. So this is all true. God's call, people are called to remain in his love, and we can do that by building ourselves up in the holy faith, meaning we need to remind, we, we need to read this, we need to know this, we need to remind each other of this. Even the little I know is good enough to keep me in the faith. I need to be in community with people, helping one another, praying in the Holy Spirit. I actually need to be praying. I can pray for my, bo- my fellow believers. I can pray for the people that I interact with in the world. I can pray for my country or all the things that I'm frustrated upon by whatever source of information you are looking at. And I can do all of that while expectantly waiting for the Lord to return in his mercy, reminding myself of his hope and his coming. If all that's true, what do we do with this? Well, simple. Keep yourselves in God's love for you. You just simply put this into practice. You simply take God is at God at his word and believe that he's going to work. Testimony. 
Have I been waiting on the Lord? Have I been trusting the Lord? Have I been praying on the Holy Spirit? Have I been in community building one another up? Or have I been isolated? Have I been silent to the Lord? Have I been so wound up in what's going on today that I forget that the Lord is coming back? I don't know. Probably not many of you. Brothers and sisters, this is what we're called to. Living as though God actually loves us. Living with the truth that he actually looks upon us like a dad looks at his infant. That all these things that he asks us to do, we don't even have to do and he still loves us. So we do it anyways. Because he's just that good. And when we trust him, and we rely on him, and we wait on him, he does amazing things in and through us. And this is something that God, his spirit, wants us to get a hold of. Because the next passage we look into is about a life that is outward trying to rescue people out of the brokenness that they're in. And none of that can actually happen unless we fully understand that the love that we are given and we live in it. Because if we don't feel or we don't understand or we don't believe that we are truly loved, we're going to continue looking for ways to fill empty holes. And instead of accepting and, and receiving the love of God for us that then frees us to not worry about myself, but to serve another person. We have to stay. We have to remain. We have to trust. Because he is good. So how do we do this? We serve one another. Put yourself out there. Sign up for a dinner with friends if you like to eat. I don't know. Maybe not everyone likes to eat. Reach out. Talk to someone. If you don't have a prayer life, start today. Lord, I don't like praying. It's really awkward, weird. I'm going to ask you to do something. Please work in my heart. Give me a passion for that. I know your spirit's praying already. I'd like to just pray with him. Lord, I constantly forget you're coming again. And I constantly get distracted by what's going on or what could possibly happen in the future or the things that are around me. Help me, Lord. Give me a vision. Give me an, help me to set my sail towards you. Gather together. Get in a small group. Seek him. Seek him.
He's so good. So we're going to um, finish here. I'm going to call the worship team back up. Um, we had another song planned. I actually want us to sing uh, Tis So Sweet again. Um, it's an old song. But deep truth. So as you sing it, if you can read over here, if you can't, there's grace and forgiveness for that. Um, but just listen and ponder the words. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Let's sing. Thank you.